1: Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you wait before the show, as you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game podcast.
2: Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend. And uh, today we got uh, a crew chat, but uh, we're extending it beyond the normal crew. And today we're going to include uh, more of the field staff writers and myself. And we've got a great conversation. We're going to key in on uh, uh, sausage making and some tips, tricks, uh, some good conversations just all around on on kind of what to do, not to do, in the world of sausage creation. Uh, we're also going to share some of our favorite recipes off the website and uh, and get to know a couple, two of our, our field staff writers that have, have never been on the show. So here in just a minute, I'm going to give you the chance to meet them. And uh, First off, we'll just do our normal sort of round where we'll give some updates and, and let you chat with them. So me personally, uh, shifting gears from the world of saltwater fishing back to uh the wild wild areas of florida i'm going to be looking forward to turkey season here very shortly and uh uh, with that comes uh, the new adventures of hoping to get a an osceola but yeah outside of that and then we'll start bear prep for the spring out in oregon and uh who knows i just saw uh, Backcountry's hunters and anglers just announced their annual rendezvous is going to be coming up in June, and uh, someone on this page may or may not have gotten an invite to come up and, and do some work at that. But more details to follow. I'll I'll switch it over to Ryan since most of you guys know Ryan. Hey guys, and, uh, see what updates are going on in the the wonderful world in Oklahoma. So
1: kind of, uh, the same realm of you as you are, we're, we're rolling up for Turkey season here. We're, we're kind of planning our hunts. We've got one, obviously one or two scheduled here. We've got one also down in your neck of the woods in Florida Mm -hmm. and then another in Texas. And, uh, this year, hopefully possibly we're going to be able to hunt the Fort Sill army base here in Lawton, Oklahoma. So that's going to be a first if, if we can pull that off. Um, still working hard on videos. We, uh, the last one we actually released was our Dove Wellington. I, I kind of purposely stuck it back behind a couple other ones just to kind of give it a little bit of space. I wanted them to see your, 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 or
2: hear your deep voice. <laughs> My deep reverb voice. And there see you go. Me, see me in action.
1: Best podcast Not. review ever. <laughs> um, yep. Face <laughs> that out a little bit. We've got four more launch, four more videos launching the next week. So we're super excited about that. And nice. uh, yeah, like like you, just gearing up for turkey season. I mean, it's it's that time of year,
2: so let's get That's into it. Good. Well, we're looking forward to to seeing some of those videos pop up and watch them. Big time fan here, you know. Yeah. Hey, yo. <laughs> uh, nice. Well, I'm I'm happy to to begin the introduction of of one of two here. So uh, with his days, Adam. Adam lives up in in Central Florida and has been doing a bit of writing for us. Uh, Adam, you want to share a little bit about yourself and let us know what's going on in your neck of the woods.
3: Uh, yeah, like Justin said, Central Florida here, uh, highly anticipating turkey season. It started last weekend down in the South Zone. So we start March 20th. Um, definitely getting ready for that. And Backcountry uh, Hunters and Anglers is doing the Gobblers and Garbage again here with the state chapter. It was a pretty big success in the Southeast chapter last year, so uh, we're hoping we can get some people out there again this year. And uh, other than that, um, just trying to trying to get some time outside. Fishing season coming up, and ready for uh, I'm ready for a break. I'm not ready for it to be hot, but
2: yeah this uh the, the weather we've been enjoying i don't I know the other guys are gonna smirk at us for this but uh <laughs> it's been cool but comfortable i'd say i don't know That's down deep. here
3: <laughs> it, it's not humid it's been it's been warm but not humid there's been a nice steady breeze still from the north so it's been very tolerable to get some outside work done
2: so, on, on the the opposite side of the country here, we got John with us. Uh, John's up in Pennsylvania, right?
4: Yep, up in Pennsylvania.
2: All right, well, please, uh, please share a little bit about yourself and what's going on in your neck of the woods.
4: How's everybody doing? Um, John Vile, a um, state fish biologist, live up in northeastern Pennsylvania with my wife and two teenage kids, and we spend as much time as we can out in the woods and on the water. And... I enjoy cooking and trying to turn what we harvest into something that tastes pretty good. Um, Things have been pretty slow up here with uh, the snow and ice. It's finally getting a little nicer out, a little warmer out. Um, We're kind of gearing up for American Shad season. We we always join a, uh, it's called a Bi-State Tournament on the Delaware River for American Shad, the end of April. April 22nd to the 25th that we always join. It's a a really well-run contest. Uh, The guys always try to get a lot of kids involved. Um, It's uh, just a four-day contest for the the biggest shad, and there's 10 prizes. Uh, They don't really, haven't figured out what the top prize is gonna be this year, but the last time they had the contest, 2019, it was $20,000. Oh, and there's a couple kids categories um, and several prizes under that for kids. There's a women's division and uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. A great group of guys and it's like 40 bucks for adults, $30 for kids. And even if you, um, if you join and you don't even put your, your line in the water, kids, adults, everybody who joins at the end of the tournament, they draw a name out of a hat and that person wins a G3 1860 center console boat with a, a ninety sixty-five Yamaha jet outboard. Holy so,
1: smokes. Yeah. Ryan, I think you guys take a trip. <laughs> <laughs> is there an over-40s late adult-onset hunter category? <laughs> uh, I'd,
4: I'd be in that category, probably.
1: There we go.
2: <laughs> Let's do this. So what, what goes into uh, – uh, I've caught – I've caught shad before, uh, but for those who haven't, what goes into catching a a shad?
4: Typically, we're usually fishing out of my boat, and the key is um, anything flashy. You're looking at shad spoons or or darts, flutter spoons, and you're looking to get your line down to the bottom. You're looking for some area that's going to confine the shad because they're going to kind of migrate up the river um almost single file in the main channel and so you're kind of setting up in a shallow point where you can get your line all the way to the bottom and anything flashy it's just a you know they're they're not feeding it's just a striking instinct and uh yeah that's pretty cool hopefully hopefully they'll have some uh some shad recipes coming up in in april and may um they're they're not really known for the quality of the meat or how they taste, but I mean we fry them up every year. They're not yeah. they're not walleye, but they're okay.
2: I'll uh I'll, I'll I'll tell anybody like I'm I'm a huge fan. There's been tons of people that tell me like oh don't eat that fish or that fish is less than ideal. It's like there's got to be a good way to prepare them. I mean yeah they have, a, it comes down they have a they have a great
3: it. story in American history as well. Um and just oh. a great story as fish in general the St. John's River has has a really great spawn um there they are they in certain circles they are definitely highly regarded as an edible and the roe too is uh is an another thing that
4: yeah great book uh, very, uh found, founding fish. fish
3: yep founding fish
2: exactly
4: yeah great book so, about the history of american shad
3: absolutely
2: uh, is that by the, is that by the same guy he did, uh, was it American Seafood? Mm. Oh, I can't see, I can't see the name. I have the book over on the cabinet, but I can't see the name. Uh, I want to say
4: the, it's McPhee, I yeah. believe.
2: Yeah. Ah, uh, I think Probably so. I th- yeah. I think it may be the same one. Please, if anybody out there knows and correct me, please feel free. But, uh, no, I, I thought it was, I think so. Um... The funny Ryan's is, like fish nudes. Uh, like <laughs> back in <laughs> – right now. Back well, in the
1: early it.
4: history, you know, of, of the United States, I mean, that's what everyone used to eat were American shad. And, you know, they used to take things like striped bass and use those for fertilizer. And uh, yeah. our, our tastes have of kind of swapped, um, you know.
2: I mean, I think you get a lot of places in the country too where they won't even eat bass. Like it's, you know, you'll eat small mouths, but people won't touch large mouths. Uh, I mean, I grew up, that was like, it was quality table fare. Sure.
1: Yeah, you, you were dining good. When we went to Canada, we were doing the pike and walleye fishing and they we, we were out with a guy and we some mentioned something about, you know, pond catching large mouth bass. And he's like, oh, did you throw them back? <laughs> Mm -mm. (laughs) dinner (laughs) (laughs) tacos that's right right. um
2: all right well uh well thanks thanks guys for both sharing that Uh, i'm very happy to have you on so uh and looking forward to the conversation first couple things to get out of the way so uh we've got our hat giveaway for reviews for the podcast so down in the show notes, scroll on down a little bit when you're listening to this, and uh, there's a link that says Rate This Podcast. You click on that, and it's going to connect you with a way to actually physically rate this podcast. And uh, if you punch the five-star button and you leave a written review, we will in turn compile that with the many of thousands of reviews that we get for this podcast. <laughs> and uh, we'll, uh, we'll select one lucky person to get their review read on the podcast, and then we'll award that person with a hat. Um, of your choice, so whenever you hear your view read, just send us an email. What's cooking at and uh we'll shoot a hat out to you. Let's see. Uh, also, we got the Adventures for food podcast going. Corey's been very diligently recording. that's actually why he's not here tonight. We decided to give him a day off and let him take a break from recording podcast episodes so he could uh, enjoy some time with his family. <laughs> uh, which is good. it's good. We all need that family time. But uh, those are going to be coming out soon. Look for them every other week. Maybe, maybe not. We'll transition to every week. We'll see uh, how it's going down the road. If you guys really enjoy those, uh, like always, they're short, concise, good stories. Uh, and, and we'd like to share. If you're interested in sharing your story, send us an email. Same email. What's cooking at harvestingnature.com dot com. And then uh, make sure you're checking them out. If you really dig them, send us a note. Say, hey. I really like those stories. Keep them up. Um, you know, we'll, we'll take that into consideration for sure. And then over on uh, the Facebook, uh, we've got our community page, which uh, a couple people actually messaged me about today, and they were like, hey, what's the name of this Facebook page? And I uh, just want to remind everybody it's the uh, Wild Fishing and Game Community. So it's linked, uh, linked to Harvesting Nature page, linked to this podcast, and it's a way you can really just kind of interact with us uh, more closely, like day-to-day. Corey and I are pretty heavy on there. I think a lot of the other riders uh, are on there as well. So if you have questions or comments, and we we use it to kind of gauge interest in specific stuff when we're formulating our podcast notes and, and uh, answer questions and all those things. And I love seeing everybody's recipes that they share on there. So great stuff all around. And always, our friends over at the Allen Company, they've hooked us up with this great coupon code, Uh, You go to buyallen, dot com and use the code HARVEST10. Uh, It's HARVEST10 and it gets you 10% off on all the great items that they have there. Great, durable, dependable items uh, that you probably actually already own a swath of Allen gear and you don't even know it. They're pretty, pretty good stuff. Pretty dependable. So now we can dig in. Uh, I do want to chat some recipes uh, first, and these are all going to be uh, sausage centric recipes. It's a lot of information there. Uh, first up, actually, uh, John, your your recipes first up on the list. So uh, if you want to talk a little bit about the recipe and sort of the motivation you had behind it. And then we can uh, we can dissect it a little bit and move on. I got a list of some others here as well. Sure. So I have uh, ancho and chipotle
4: chili, smoked venison. Um, anyone who's maybe checked out some of my recipes or posted on Harvesting Nature, you probably know. Like I'm a huge fan of ancho chili. I, I just I love the flavor. I like the fact that it's not super spicy you know my family's not going to be complaining it's too hot and so um years ago when i was you know doing a lot of a lot of sausage and trying out new recipes you know i wanted to make a a smoked sausage that incorporated ancho chilies in there but not making it so it tasted like a chorizo like a spanish chorizo um searching internet I, i i found the a website sbcanning.com i want to give them credit they had uh, a fresh pork sausage that had ancho chili powder in it and i was like okay it sounds kind of interesting so i took that and i incorporated into a smoked sausage adding the cure changed up some of the ingredients um, added a few things and uh smoked it came out pretty good and and from there on i just kept modifying it messing around with adding some different chilies to kind of complement complement the the ancho and uh and then finally came up with the the final version in which um not only do i add uh, the chili powder to it at the um very end right before i smoke it when i go to or before i stuff it when i go to mix it i um i take whole dry chilies toast those uh, rehydrate them in in hot water and then throw them in a food processor and uh grind them up and with a little bit of the soaking water and i add that to the final mix and i think it just adds a whole nother level of flavor and and, and depth to the to the sausage and a little bit of beer in there and uh yeah smoke them up and uh they're uh yeah most of the people i you know, I, I, cook those up for, they really like them. It's definitely my daughter. It's, it's her favorite. She's my, uh, she's my helper when I make sausages, and they're, they're definitely her favorite. Nice.
2: So, uh, on a scale like one to 10, where would you put the, the, the heat on that, on that?
4: Very, very mild. Like if I had to make it for myself, I would, I would add a lot more chili to it, but okay. since I'm, giving them other people would probably be on you know 10 being the hottest it's probably like a two or a three it's very
2: mild i like it you you put a good smoke on them too there's some uh some solid pictures there on the on the recipe on the website and uh it's got they got some good color i Uh, like that
4: thanks yeah
2: so cool um well there's that and ryan you want to tell us a little bit about alligator sausage you guys have yeah so last year we went down to your neck of the
1: woods and got to harvest a couple good size alligators. And, uh, we did what everybody else does. We hammered them flat and floured them up and fried them. And then after that, I was like, well, what are we going to do with the other 200 pounds that we got? So we kind of started experimenting a little bit and just internet searches kind of yielded, uh, a lot of different things. One of them being sausage. Um, so we went through and, and kind of picked out some things that we really liked, and we didn't want to do exactly what everybody else was doing. However, I do like hot sauce, so John, I'm, I'm there with you, man. I, I, my wife thinks black pepper is hot and spicy. So I've got a, I, you can ask Justin; I have a whole shelf of the Last Dab from. I mean, I, he, I, is, I, I he has it. all the hot sauces, <laughs> all of them. So I can get, I can, I, I like it. So we toned it down a little bit. So basically we just took basically i went I went fifty fifty with it, so we took fifty uh, percent alligator meat and alligator tail, and it wasn't the the jelly roll what a lot of people call it or it was it was just the outer tail. Um, and then we went just two pounds of wild uh, hog sausage that that or sorry, wild, wild pork that we had got, um not sausage. a um, little bit of celery, some red pepper. Uh, I think it was probably. I started off with like half an half an onion. I think I went to like an, an entire onion. So just said screw it and threw it all in there. A uh, handful of sage, some parsley, some basil. Um, I love Everglades seasoning out from down there in your neck of the woods, Justin and uh, Adam. Everglades is kind of a go-to for us. Um, and I put, I think, like four like dabs of the last dab and everything. Um, <laughs> I threw that in the mixer and the last out-
2: dab being a, a hot sauce, right? Mm-hmm.
1: The last dab is a hot sauce, yeah, and it is from the. Uh, there's a whole YouTube. If you haven't re- just just do the last dab. If you get if you go down the YouTube channel, like rabbit hole, the last <laughs> dab. It's a show on YouTube. It's fantastic. Famous people come on. Um. Anyway, they They honestly make fantastic sauce, hot sauces. So, uh, threw that in there. My wife didn't die, so it was acceptable, <laughs> and they were delicious. <laughs> So that's, that's usually the forefront is, can she eat it and enjoy it? And then I know that I need to add a little bit more for myself. I I like what John, I'm going to piggyback off John there. If if they like it, I'm like, cool. I'm going to make my own little batch here. So,
2: and, uh, that, that was actually your guy's premiere video on. It was our our
1: first recipe video. Yeah, it was.
2: And it just so happened
1: that it It was good. I liked it. One of the, one of the main reasons we did that one video, um, the made with meat, um, the company sent us a meat mixer to try out. And I literally was had a, like five pounds of alligator set out in front of me. I was like, I don't know what we're going to do with this. And then this meat mixer showed up and I was like, well, I think I know what you're going to do. So ground it up and the rest is history. So you can check that out on our channel. So
2: nice. Yep. I'll put all the, as always, the, the plug as always show notes are always, or <laughs> links are always in the show notes. There we go. I messed up calling attention to my own plug, but that's all right. Um, so I got a couple that I want to share, um, real quick, off the page. Uh, I'm just gonna hit them kind of, kind of from the top, and then uh, Adam, if you have one down the way uh, that you're you're thinking of, maybe offhand, but no pressure if you don't. Um, so one I have a uh, smoked wild game cheese sausage, and this one uh, is a pretty cool one. I too also got a uh, <laughs> not a meat meat. Uh, what is it? What's the name of the company, Ryan? Made with meat. Made with meat. Yeah. I got yeah. Uh, one of their grinders and uh, stuffers. Mm. And so I, I, too, probably about the same time created this recipe. But I did uh, – so it's an Austrian – Austrian not Australian. Austrian sausage known as a Kosskraner. And uh, it's a pretty common, like, street food there. Uh, but basically, it's a, a good sausage – mixture that has big chunks of cheese in it. So as you're eating it, you get some like delicious cheese bits mixed in with your sausage as you can take away. So they have a, excuse me, they have a specific uh, cheese that they use traditionally in the recipe. I use Monterey Jack. It was about the same consistency and, and pretty readily available in the U S use like a five pound, uh, five pounds of uh, antelope cubed up. You can use venison too, and then I actually I don't do this often. Uh, I don't sub in bacon. Usually, my wild game cooking, I generally keep it kind of kind of straightforward with uh, with pork pa- pork fat. Um, but I decided to go with thick cut bacon on this one, so get a little more salty, a little more smoky flavor on this uh, with the cheese and the paprika, uh, smoked paprika, garlic powder, and stuff like that. Put it in some natural casings and even in the photos you can see like the big chunks of cheeses, cheese, cheeses, cheese inside the, the sausage casing. So great recipe. Uh, we made a good deal of it and, and ate off of it for, for a little while. So I was pretty happy with that. Um, <laughs> oh no. I saw your message, Adam. Do you need to go?
3: No, I just heard... Heard a commotion over there. We've had a bobcat problem uh, uh, for a while. Bob, I mean, we have everything out here, but uh, no, nah, I just heard it uh take out a chicken. So it' not much I can do about it. But we we let them. We just kind of let them. Well, our chickens wander around. Bobcat season ends March thirty first. I do have no. a plan now that I got a little bit of free time, but this thing, it'll walk around you know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon and snatch a bird 20 steps that's out a, my
2: back door. That's a bold move.
3: It's, it's very bold. bold. Our neighbor, our neighbor has the same issue. Talk to FWC repeatedly and you know, we just about trapping it versus shooting it and they're like, basically I got my answer. So Anyhow, I won't digress anymore. But that was kind of... why.
1: jealous of your. I'm jealous of your fur bear season.
3: Yeah, we, yeah, uh, me too. There, <laughs> I did get well, a hide and fur dealer's license this year and a trapper's license, but I haven't made that much use out of it because it's just been it's been crazy this year. So,
2: oh man, well I hope they don't get any more chickens. In the- <laughs> it's inevitable.
3: I, again, it goes back to I started to build fencing in a coop and I just work started coming and I couldn't mm-hmm. say no. And next thing I know, nine months have, have passed and here I am looking at the fence I started and still isn't done yet. Oh man. But anyhow, we'll get we'll get back on track.
2: Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, no. No worries. I saw that message it was like, oh I oh. was
3: loud. It was definitely like, oh boy.
2: <laughs> i saw you take like i saw you take your headphone off and i was like he's got to be listening to something outside yeah uh,
3: it took out our nesting turkey um about a week ago we had a turkey sitting on maybe 18 to 20 eggs and one day she was there and the next day she was gone so whew.
2: yeah well you got a little bit of time before bobcat season's it's over so it, that's good sure the
3: Family, you know the kids. This is the first time the kids have wanted me to kill something. (laughs) (laughs) White's kind of on the fence about taxidermy, and she's like, "Oh, it can go on the wall." (laughs) (laughs) Chasing a turkey, grabbing a turkey in the air. I'm like, "Eh, "It's going to cost a little bit, but I'm willing to do that."
2: all right well let's uh let's hit this last uh last little sausage recipe here so uh a little a little antelope andouille so as many of you know like cut my teeth down in the kitchens new orleans so uh uh andouille sausage always has like a a good special place in my heart so this one's a good example of of using uh some curing methods and some curing salts in there um in with the recipe to add to the preparation. Um, so, yeah. So, also in this one, I don't think I added in any extra uh, fat into the meat. I uh, just went with straight antelope, uh, which it's turned out pretty well still.
4: One, so, one, yeah. one thing I've I've come across with making andouille, <clears throat> I pro- mm-hmm. I've probably made. Maybe five different types of, maybe different recipes, and where I've completely screwed up, you know, Italian sausage or broths or something like that. I feel like as long as you stick to garlic and thyme and um, you know your your other seasonings, it's almost impossible possible to screw that up.
3: Yeah, I think yeah, there are so many interpretations of it based yeah. on region and kind of what you have on hand and you're never gonna i mean you can you can have on duty so many different places and it's never like you said it's got the basic elements but there's so many variations on it that you really can't mess that one up
4: no you can add too much cayenne and make it really hot but that's okay hot's
3: good
2: hot for some people So this one, uh, I, I didn't put those, you know, like traditionally you see those big chunks of, of fat and on and I didn't go that route. Uh, I just don't think I had it available at the time when I decided to crank out this recipe, but nonetheless delicious. And I, I, I like the antelope too. i I've, I've hit on it several times, like subbing antelope out to go with a lot of, uh, spicy flavors. Cause I think the antelope meat's kind of bold. So it carries, carries the extra flavor and spice pretty well. So yeah, uh, those are a couple I have on. Adam, do you have any any offhand that you can think of off the top of your head that that you think are like all star go to uh, sausage recipes? I don't
3: know. As far as as recipes I have, I don't have any of those on hand. I could, I mean, I use a lot sure. of uh, uh, percentage. Like I use the metric system. I weigh mm-hmm. based on percentages, but there's a basic like bag of versatile sausage recipes. I think if you have a good breakfast sausage, you can adjust the heat, you know, like John says, you can always make it mild and then add spice to whoever's liking later. So you can under season it and then kick up the heat later. So a good breakfast, um, a good Italian, a good bratwurst, that just super basic very few ingredients and then you can add cheese or you can add jalapeno or chili peppers um but just as far as recipe goes for anyone that's looking to kind of get their skill set um just look at those very basic like three ingredients and then and then learn those and then add your own personal touch after that i would say is the uh recommendation adam where do, you, where do you source your your like high temp cheese from uh there's a few places butcher packer sausage maker um the ac legs up in georgia has uh, wholesale spice they have a separate company that supplies like lugs and all that kind of stuff so gotcha. it kind of depends on who has, you know, who has the best customer service at the time? I've had some issues with some people and I've had some great cu- customer service from others. Um, but yeah, it's been, and now that I've found a place I like, I, I tend to get a lot of it, unpackage it, re-vacuum seal it in a chamber back in
2: smaller amounts and uh, and go from there. Nice. All right. Well, um, as we kind of move through these recipes a little bit, let's, let's get down to kind of, uh, the nitty gritty a little bit and talk some about equipment. So, uh, kind of in the world of, of, of sausage making, you go through like four major pieces of equipment that you kind of need to, I guess you don't need all of it, but that help in the process. So obviously you need a meat grinder of some sort, right? Um, so and th- there's different variations. There's, uh, you know, there's the full on electric meat grinder, you know, like we mentioned made by meat, uh, LEM has them. Weston has them. It's dedicated to like, this is for grinding meat. And then you get into like the, the hand, the old hand crank or your hand grinding meat. And then, uh, and then sort of, uh, uh like the mixer, which I, I'll refer to it as a mixer commonly, but I'm talking about kind of like the, Maybe the Cuisinart or, you know, your KitchenAid or whichever way you have that grind attachment on there. Um, as you guys sort of create sausage, uh, what's your general go-to? And I know I prefaced it earlier, but we're all at sort of different levels in, in experience and in the amount of sausage that we, we make in a given year. So um, I have a, a large grinder that I use uh pretty regularly electric grinder, but I'm also n- not not hesitant to break out a smaller one and just kind of go through it. It depends on what I'm working with but uh, uh if you guys just let me know I'll start Ryan kind of what what are your thoughts on on the grinder world?
1: Yeah, so just because of my adult job and and the other things we have going on, time's kind of a priority on my end. so we have a big uh, electric grinder that we use. Uh, to pretty much grind all of our stuff for about three years. When I first got into processing everything, we had this little bitty electric grinder and it took a metric ton of years (laughs) to, to go through anything. Um, So we upgraded that a couple years ago. Uh, It's a one and a half horsepower thing. I mean, it'll grind bricks. I think if you probably threw them in there, but it's, it's probably way overkill. Um, And then we also use the same device to stuff. And then we use a hand mixer if we need to mix anything in wherever we're doing with that. So, um, the mixer that we have is is not isn't compatible with our grinder, so we just hand mix it. But I feel that on the mixing portion, like I mean that's that's doable. That's that's a minimal time thing. Uh, but the, the the electric stuff really takes the priority on on my end anyway for for time consumption and accountability and efficiency. So
2: we're we're all about the electric. Nice. Do you, uh, uh, do you have a sausage stuffer or scale that you use? Yeah. So we do use a digital scale. We
1: just recently upgraded. Um, after this last year, we, we actually put on a class about processing wild game and we realized that our 20 pound, uh, digital scale was not sufficient for six people. So, uh, (laughs) we, we upgraded. Um, but, uh, generally we, we bought a kind of a fairly cheap digital scale. I don't know, three, four years ago, maybe on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And that, that has worked really good for us. And we, that's kind of gives us a good percentage to go by if we're putting in 10% or 20% or 50% or whatever. It kind of gives us a, an idea of what we're weighing out just kind of uh, particular in, in that aspect. So
2: nice. And uh, cool. So John, what do you, what do you prefer in, in the world of equipment as far as looking at grinders or stuffers or scales and, and mixers? I mean, I have a an electric uh, grinder, um, it's half
4: horsepower, you know, um, you know, I think eventually when it dies, I think I'm going to look at the, the one on the meat maker website that mm-hmm. looks pretty nice. Um, to me, I, th- I think if, if you're like, uh, a home butcher, you're, you're butchering your own deer, but you don't have any, any of the equipment yet. And you're, um, looking for one piece of equipment, a grinder is definitely the way to go. Um, I wouldn't buy anything less than a half horsepower, um, but there's so many things you can do with a grinding your own meat for burgers and, you know, meatballs, and meatloaf, chili, whatever. Plus, you can make loose sausage if you want. Um, some of them do have some sausage uh, stuffing um, attachments you can use. Um, they're not the greatest, but I also have a, a stuffer if you're looking just to do sausage you just want to do sausage definitely get yourself a sausage stuffer um it's it makes life so much easier you can always get ground meat if, if you're not doing home butchering you just buy ground meat from the store you can get your local game processor to, to grind some meat for you but the stuffer makes it so much easier and then i have a a scale in the garage on my butcher table, the weigh out meat. And then I also have a small, just digital scale that I use for, for weighing out some of the ingredients in grams. Um, some of the ingredients you want to be kind of specific about, especially when you're adding cure, it um, mm-hmm. can make a big difference, you know, four or five grams compared to, you know, a tablespoon. I mean, it's, that can be off quite a bit and some, some other ingredients as well. Um, so I, I, Try to use that as much as as possible when I'm using. Uh, s- certainly, doing smoke sausage.
2: Yeah, uh, Adam. So you, you're. I, I think your capacity and the amount of uh, sausage you're making throughout the year is probably much larger. What uh, what what side of the realm do you do you find yourself on?
3: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pretty much agree with these with what these guys said. If you're grinding five to ten pounds a hunting season some of these smaller grinders are are really all you're all you're going to need um they'll get the job done once you start learning a little bit more you're going to be paying more attention to texture and the finished product um grind size you're going to be grinding a lot more weight wise um and again like i think ryan said you just don't have time you know Mm -hmm. you need to get the job done quickly and and part of making good sausage is keeping it very cold while you're grinding it yep so if you have a work environment where you can keep it cold then your equipment can kind of i mean a hand grinder if you're working outside in pennsylvania in january you know it's 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 probably gonna gonna be okay for doing 10 to 15 pounds of sausage um and i've I mean, I've worked my way up from the small KitchenAid. That got to the point where it was frustrating, and then you get the little Magic Chef countertop grinder. Uh, Right now, I'm I'm running one that will do 20 to 22 pounds a
2: minute.
3: Um, And it's got, I mean, it's got a throat size that I can put two hands in. So (laughs) it's it's job is to grind meat. Um, so it just depends on what, you know, again, what you're working with, what your goals are. Uh, and like everybody keeps saying how much realistically you're going to be going through, but uh, always think if you can put in the little extra money up front to get something that's quality, that's going to last. And with the anticipation of being able to do more in the future, I would highly recommend that. And like John said, once you get down to really the texture and the finished product, having a separate stuffer is something you're definitely going to want to look into.
2: I um, I, th- I think to me that that plays in most uh, when, when I'm trying to, to actually like pipe the sausage, because I feel like with the grinder, sometimes you get rushed and you'll get air pockets and you'll get other things in there. And you're, you're kind of like, you're trying to quickly put out a quality product, whereas with the the hand crank on the sausage, the the stuffer, it's like you have more of an ability to like fine tune it. Very a lot fine. more,
3: a lot more control over it. Yep. Um, if you only had that third hand, everything yep. would be great. But um, that's where the foot pedal comes in. Oh yeah, which is which is really nice. But then I mean, then you're talking. That's a whole other world, right there. So, um, <laughs> but for now, you know, just just that stuff, or like you said, having that control, that f- fine tuning, saves you frustration because you're going to break your casing, you're going to get it not as loose or tight as you want. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's it's definitely the more into it you get, the, you know, the more refined the equipment is going to get.
2: Now, let let me ask you uh, all all this. So have you guys ever heard, so talking about the sausage stuffer, and like we have the press, uh, which you kind of like crank down for those that don't know. Uh, And then have you seen the bag? There's like a bag you can – it's almost like a piping bag essentially. Um, I guess it's like a – Um, I wouldn't say standard. I don't want to make assumptions, but I was doing a lot of research here recently for for a meat eater article, which will actually be out by the time this podcast released, but it's an Irish breakfast sausage. And a lot of the the recipes when I was doing my research kept referencing a, uh, like a piping bag or a sausage piping bag. And and I'm guessing that maybe a lot of people aren't making tons of sausage and are using a, a smaller bag to pipe meat into casings, but I've never heard of
3: it, but I would guess that goes back to the origin of sausage and maybe the anatomy of, Mm -hmm. of where natural casing comes from. Um, it it could have been, you know, it could have been a tool that was utilized long ago. The only time I've seen a bag used is
1: inside of a manual stuffer just to uh-huh. keep the – it was for cleaning, basically. Okay. You would put it in the manual stuffer, put the bag in it, put the lining in it, put the sausage inside the bag, use the manual stuffer to squeeze the bag down that goes into your tube and your casings, and it's just less cleanup. That's the only time I've seen a bag. But it would make sense if you didn't have that, You could just roll it up, I guess, or compress it into a casing.
2: Yeah. That's what I, – I mean, the only thing I get pictures, like, it's almost like a – you know, when you do icing on a cake, you kind of like sure. – get a good round turn on it and squeeze and it, it goes into the casing that way. Uh, I feel like I know. it
4: would have to be like a, a pretty fine grind. You know, you're probably yeah. putting it through a fine plate several times in order to get it to that consistency to probably squeeze out.
2: I mean, I think it would be hard too. with like, once you start adding in other thicker things like bit larger chunks of fat or, you know, like in the instance I said earlier, like cheese or, right. you know, whatever, like, Jalapeno, you're you're starting to now add different things to potentially block that. So <laughs> almost emulsify it to a bologna thing, which I've done on accident. <laughs> bologna should have we should have added that into the cooking fails, but well, <laughs> I don't know how we I don't know how we forgot that, but it was definitely a fail. I <laughs> definitely,
3: definitely fail bologna grinder to stuff. I definitely <laughs> see some emulsification happening. Mm-hmm. Got it. I use that small. Worm. Yep, I used a
1: smaller auger.
3: Yeah,
2: and uh, yeah, turned it into paste. Yeah,
3: I've
2: been having a. Uh, I, I was running into some trouble the other day. My um, my my grinder was heating up, and it was starting to to heat up the fat in the uh, the fat in the meat. It wasn't like cooking it, but it was giving it a different texture uh, as I was going. And I, I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna have to look at that. But so not, I, I do I'm gonna steal. I'm gonna steal some of Adam's thunder a
1: little bit. He mentioned something about a bigger throat size on the grinder, which saved us from what you're talking about, Justin. Um, so we, we always kind of like quasi freeze our meat before we grind it, right? Mm-hmm. Just as cool as possible during the entire process. A smaller throat size, we couldn't process. We couldn't grind as much meat as we wanted to, to make to make our sausage. Leading to what you were talking about, we were literally cooking the meat as it was going through the grinder because the auger got so hot just running through. the mechanical system. When we got the bigger throat size and we put the same amount of meat through, it just stayed cooler for a lot longer and it reduced what you're talking about.
2: Yeah. And actually what, uh, what, what I ran into is I had an issue with the stuffer and was trying to meet a deadline and uh, (laughs) uh, ended up having to use my grinder as, as the stuffing mechanism, which, you know, gave some less favorable results than if I'd originally planned ahead and written my piece and cooked my piece much much in advance I would have been okay but needless to say uh, customer service came through and, and saved the day but um, yeah uh, let's see let's let's dive a little bit into into how to's and sort of the process so um, any special tips you guys have and I'm just gonna run through these if you guys have something like super super on point or a tip or trick or failure just let me know um prepping meat uh so like uh, outside freezing or or par freezing or partially freezing like what is there anything special you do to prep the meat uh before it goes into the grinder yeah i mean i I like it to be not frozen but sort of have ice crystals
4: on it and uh i've been instead of cutting the meat into chunks i most sort of cut it into strips and mm-hmm. you can drop it down the throat. The auger grabs it and you don't have to sit there and stuff it down in there. The auger will just grab it and just keep feeding itself. Yeah. Um, yep. Not only, you know, keeping everything cold, the uh, you know, the, the auger and everything, the plate, your blade, everything in the freezer for usually like an hour before I start grinding. And then um, just take a little bit of food grade oil and uh, lubricant and put that around the blade and the plate and that helps a little bit with some of the friction to keep it from warming up and keeping that fat from melting
2: Yeah. do you, do you find that sometimes uh, there's like a contact point uh, your grinding plate like where the auger meets the grinding plate and there's like a little usually a little divot that goes in there do you ever find that there's like a build up of uh, almost like a darker material like black like where the metal's kind of rubbing a little bit
4: yeah, I, th- I think that's just where the the blade starts to – the blade and the, the plate aren't quite um, mm-hmm. line up correctly. I usually – I mean, typical grinders, like the one I have, a half-horsepower grinder, they're usually not made to sharpen the blade and the plate. But I still, every year, I, I take the blade a couple times a year and the plate, and I just go through some very fine um, emery cool. paper. Um, mm-hmm. just kind of doing figure eights. And if you take a, just a Sharpie and you, you put a Sharpie all over the, that plate and you run it over that emery paper, you pick it up and you can see where there's like flat spots or high spots. And that's what that blade is catching. And so huh. just kind of working it over the emery paper, takes some of those high spots out. So it, it makes a little better contact with the blade.
2: I didn't think about that, but that's a, that's a, uh, I like that. That's yeah, neat. that's, that's um, a great idea. Um,
3: some other advice that I was given was uh match a blade up with a plate. Yeah. So yep. every plate has its own blade. Yep. Um, oh, that's that a good too. always make sure you use the same side of the plate with the blade that way eventually they'll they'll match up and you'll get less of
2: that build up happening. That's good. Yeah. I, I haven't seen it as much, I think, with this grinder. and I, I think if I make sure I, I lubricate all the, the moving parts and all the contact points, it happens less. But it, it depends on, too, the amount of meat that I'm doing and like the, the amount of time I'm, I'm engaging the grinder. Um, How are you guys storing
1: your meat prior to, let's say, and I'm just, I'm, I'm just whitetails on top of my mind right now. So you, you go harvest a whitetail and... I automatically kind of think, hey, th- I'm going to do this recipe with this or this recipe with that. And I'm going to grind this portion ahead of time. So I already kind of know that. How are you guys storing your meat so you know what you're pulling out? Do you do bulk frozen ground or do you, like individual pound frozen grounds or, or how do you do that? I, I just do bulk. Um, when I set meat aside that I know I'm going to
4: grind, um, I just store it bulk. I don't even vacuum seal that because i know i'm going to get to it in another month or two and uh, as i continue to keep harvesting white tails through the season we just keep adding to that Um, and then take it out kind of thaw it most of the way and and then grind it stuff it refreeze it i've never had an issue with it Um,
3: yeah that's that's pretty much exactly what we do my wife hunts deer also so we'll just um, all the deer we process will trim off everything into a grind pile and i'll make sure it's it's trimmed ready to go into the grinder in a size it can go into won't even weigh it out at that time just package it up not like he said not even vacuum seal it because i know i'm going to be getting to it soon Thawed out cut through the Pieces that are already there into chunks when it's partially frozen and will go right into the grinder. So um, try to work in in large batches like that. You know, just it's it's a lot easier if you're to be doing a, a, a large batch of sausage.
2: Yep, I, I I tend to differ a little bit. Uh, I I work through. I, I like to work through like each, each animal. So I just like kind of complete the process all the way through, but it's also too, like I'm, I'm, I'm harvesting different varied amounts of animals or different types. So I just kind of, in my mind, I like to like, all right, we're good here. Everything's vacuum sealed, but I'll, I will take, I'll process the animal all the way through. So portion out my steaks, uh, you know, roast all those things put all my trim aside. Once everything else is vacuum sealed and in the freezer, uh, I'll usually throw the, what I'm going to grind in the freezer overnight uh, and then pull it out the next day and grind it and then portion it and vacuum seal it. So, and I, I, I want to caveat too, I vacuum seal them flat uh, yes. just because I think it cuts down on thaw time and it's better for storage. So I think that's a, that's a fun thing that I learned about two very yeah. important things yeah. thaw time yeah. and
1: storage. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That, that's where I was. That's where I was kind of going with it. It was a life hack that I learned. I don't know. Two years ago, maybe. Um, so we do everything either. We do probably half, probably I would say not half, half's wrong. Probably 80% in two pound bags. We weigh them out. We put them in a, a big, you know, we put them in a vacuum sealer. We flatten them out. We vacuum seal probably most everything in two pound bags, and then every once in a while, we'll do some one pounders. Um, you know, if we're doing spaghetti, we're doing, you know, for cut meat, we're doing fajitas, we're doing tacos, mm-hmm. burritos, whatever. I know I can throw that two, I can cut up the two pound, throw it in there and go. On the other hand, where it's made it easy where we're doing sausage and I need eight pounds of sausage or I need 12 pounds of sausage, I know that I can grab six two pound bags, throw it in, there's my 12. Uh, and it, it eliminates, I hate to waste stuff and I hate the thought because I, I'm just, I'm bad at math one, but two, um, I hate to try <laughs> a giant thing of, of ground meat and be like, I needed half of this other do do half. Do I refreeze it? You know? So that was a, that was a hack that, uh, that made life very easy for us. It takes a little bit longer on the forefront. You're doing your math on the forefront, but it makes it easier when it comes to actually cooking what you need. You can kind of use it for everything. So.
3: Well, I think that's, that's a good aspect that, that when you're processing animals, that needs to be looked at, like how large is your family size? How many people are you mm-hmm. for? And you sure. should, you should package according to, I mean, if, if, if it's just you, if it's just you versus you and a wife or girlfriend versus you and a minivan full of kids, then you can think about that packaging size ahead of time, how much you're going to need for a meal, try not to have leftovers or maybe being able to utilize, you know, if you're, a five pound vacuum seal grind at a time. Cause you have eight kids. Sure. And the soccer team comes over once a week. Um, it's it just like you said, looking at that ahead of time and kind of knowing what the end result is going to be save mm-hmm. a lot of struggle yeah. yep. and free right. yeah. and organization and, having someone else being able to be, you can be like, Hey, run down to the freezer and grab this. And they know what it is, know where it's at, know how much is there. Um, so if you take time, just like a lot of other things, if you take time ahead of time, it helps out in the end.
2: Sure. I think that, yeah, cool. That plays into our tips and tricks section. I think that's pretty, those are all solid tips though. Just think like thinking ahead a little bit and too, like you go, if, if you go to a processor, they generally going to ask you like, what's your portion size? Like how many people are you going for? So, uh, hopefully those steps, if you're home processing, you're not, you're not skipping or missing. Um, let's, let's push forward a little bit and talk about casings. Uh, cause there's some varied types of casings out there. Um, and, and we can kind of do a little round Robin on your thoughts on those, but, um, kind of four things or three things I'm looking at is like, uh, natural versus collagen. Um, and then, then size and diameter, kind of what you're, what you lean towards, uh, with each. So like snack sticks, obviously, I think it, a lot of people lean towards the the collagen or the, um, I won't say prefab, but like pre-made, I guess they're all pre-made either natural or whatever. Anyway, <laughs> I digress <laughs> down a weird slippery slope, but, um, uh, snack sticks using like collagens, like those uh, smoke-colored or amber-colored uh, uh, casings. Uh, you can get them pretty pretty much all over the internet. Uh, different shops have them, all that. And then you're looking at like natural casings. So you look at either uh, pork casings, beef casings, lamb casings, uh, using the, the intestines for those. And I think for me, size depends on uh, whatever the application is going to be. Uh, if you're using like beef casings or, uh, yeah, like beef casings for larger stuff like bolognese or salami or things like that. And then, uh, pork, uh, you know, for your, your medium sized sausages. And then, um, I just recently used lamb casings for, for a smaller breakfast sausage. So kind of that's where I thought I, I don't think that I have a preference. I like to try to go with the natural ones when I can, but, uh, I certainly use the others, both the the, the natural slash clear, I will say clear and amber colored uh, collagen casings as well. So uh, I'll toss that out there for whoever's got a thought on those. I use mostly pork casings um,
4: pretty much exclusively. I just recently started using collagen casings, um, the ones for fresh sausage. And if I'm making a, a brat where I'm taking it, from the stuffer and it's just going to go on a grill. I'm not going to braise it or cook it in beer and onions or anything like that. It's just going to go on right on the grill. I love them. The, the collagen casings are great. Um, you don't have to mess with, you know, twisting and linking and, and all that. Um, but for pretty much everything else, um, I'm a big fan of, of just using the hog casings. And, um, I would, if, if people want to want to get into using hog casings, I would suggest going to your local butcher mm-hmm. and getting the ones that are stored in a, a salt brine. They're so much better than the ones that are vacuum sealed and in salt. Um, you can even feel there's a different texture to them. They're almost sort of silky, and I think they're just a lot better.
2: Yeah, I, I go down and get like, I get probably like six or seven feet. Uh, when I'm going to make sausage and it's generally like, it's it's so much more, but it's like, they're like, oh yeah, that'll be $2. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Right, right. So, <laughs> right. Uh, Adam, what what are your thoughts on sausage casings? Uh, initially, I think if you're starting out,
3: um, there's a lot of, of ease to some... For collagen casings, um, you don't have to deal with... It's just less tears, less worry about rinsing what they call spiders or the webbing on the outside. Um, Mm -hmm. I think starting out collagen is easier, and there's definitely some aspects of them that are good. I mainly use natural casings uh, unless I'm doing summer sausage and those are collagen um those are like the two and a half inch two to three pound um summer sausage for snack sticks breakfast links and uh some people want you know just smaller linked sausages i think it's 18 to 22 millimeter sheet casing uh Mm -hmm. is typically what, what i'll use and you can get those, like you guys said, you can get, if you know a shop that makes sausages, they're typically willing to, they they love people coming in there and they're like, oh, you want, you want casing? Really? It's like the highlight of their day and they'll ask you questions and you'll get to know them. And um, so that's a, that's a really good resource right there. Um, there's pre tube casings. Which come on a little plastic tube, so they're already kind of cleaned and stretched out, and that's kind of the intermediary step between the collagen. Mm-hmm. And it's a really easy way because it can be kind of tough, especially with the smaller casings, to get them on
2: mm-hmm.
3: on the horn. Um, but I do think, f- just from my experiences and you know the people I work with and work for they want that natural casing. Um, It's got a, it's just got a snap and a texture that it's tough. I
2: think it's that snap.
3: Yeah. That snap is
2: what gets me too. Yeah. Yep. Um, And
3: it's, it's, it is definitely, it can be tough and frustrating to work with, especially the smaller diameter casings. Mm -hmm. Um, I use, uh, I go to craft butchers pantry out of Wisconsin and uh they have a lot of different options for casings. They have bladders, stomachs hmm. bones, collagen synthetic they have a lot of different options there so that's that's typically who I go to uh for casing just because f- when I'm making so many sausages that break and tear for me is what kind of interrupts the the process when I have to start and stop over so I'm really looking for For that Kind of casing that I can work Through and fly through that I can do 60-80 pounds of sausage At a time without having to worry About oh there's another tear there's another break There's another tear there's another break Uh, And I think they do a really great Job of that so Um, But yeah snack sticks Breakfast links things like that Cheap Casing uh, Bratwurst You know, your larger hot dogs, sheep casing, they work great. Um, And you can get up to like 55 millimeter, you know, large size, large hog, uh, large intestine. You know, it just kind of depends on what your final product, what you're looking at for your final product. And... And a lot of people are very traditional in the style of Mm -hmm. what they make, and they want that casing to reflect that. So, But again, there's a lot of options out there. There's some very forgiving options, and there's some very frustrating options as well.
2: I, I feel like the the world of sausage making is much like the world of craft beer. Like you can just kind of you can dance around and you know have an IPA at this brewery or enjoy a nice pale ale over here. You know uh, you can taste different things, but if you like really want to go down the rabbit hole and you want to go traditional, like you can find that brewery that makes that one you know that one type of beer. You can be like I'm making this sausage the most traditional way I can, and yeah. you can go down that route I too.
3: Every culture has meat in tube form Mm -hmm. or meat mixed with spices, their regional spices, and just it's the more I learn about sausages, the more I realize I'll never learn even ten percent of what there is to know about the culture and the history.
2: So it's just fascinating topic for me. Yeah. Sausage geek, you know? I, I do yeah i I find a lot of interest in it and I have like a lot of notes for us to talk about tonight and I don't think we're gonna get through them all, which is okay we can have a we can have a, a sausage sausage uh, <laughs> session redo <laughs> <laughs> One thing I want to hit on so I put fat on here very very briefly and I know um more like types and ratio or like grounded chunks are kind of where my thought was but I think I think the one of the most important takeaways from that is ratio for mixing. And, and a lot of that stems around like how uh, very centric to like wild game, like how, how much do you want to incorporate wild game or domestic meat into it? And then the use of sort of uh, game fats in that. We just had a podcast where we talked a lot about game fats, more about rendering, and less about sausage making. But I know Ryan mentioned earlier about using uh, uh, wild pork – is the the fat in there. And so I, I'm curious if, if you other guys do that as well. Um I've done it in the past, but I also tend to just go get uh pork fat from the butcher as well. First off, like what what's a good common ratio if you're making you know, if you're making brats, or you're making breakfast sausage or Italian, like what's your general ratio to to fat to to meat? I mean all, all my
4: sausage I make is, is venison, so I mm-hmm. I won't go and I use pork shoulder. That's predominantly what I use for fat, which a pork shoulder is fatty, but it's not all fat. So I won't go any lower than 30% pork to venison. And some of my recipes, it's it's half and half, half pork shoulder and half venison.
3: Yeah, that's, that's right about where I'm at as well. Um, I think, again, going back to what the end product you want to be and your preference, there's some things... Sausage, especially, you have to have fat in it. I mean, it's just it's part of it, and you can source it from from wherever you can. But typically, a lot of people are going to have to resort to it. And I think the the best thing to use is either pork butt or belly if you're looking for a higher ratio. But again, twenty to thirty percent is right there in that in that zone where it needs to be. Um,
2: just to get a, a good quality end product. That's fair. Yeah, I I, I lean. I think like twenty five to forty percent It sounds like weird numbers, but that's kind of where 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 I generally lie. And it depends on the recipe too. Like you know, like Adam said, the output. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty much it. And I, I was thinking about ground, ground, uh, grinding it in or if it's chunked in, I, you know, it, I think there's a combination of both, but it really depends on the recipe. Like I mentioned on Dewey earlier with the, the larger chunks of, of fat in there, uh, you know, John mentioned uh, like a Spanish chorizo, which traditionally has like larger chunks of fat in there as well. Um, but I think you still need kind of a consistency within the grind itself to help bind it together. But yeah. Um, so yeah. So let's let's hit on one one sort of topic before we close out. Um, any any major problems or or things that you think would be helpful to identify to say like, hey, this is a common thing that I hit in the past. Uh, you know where it would be like, oh, you know, here's a technique I did where I was ended up tearing casings or maybe my sausage was too grainy. Or, uh, I was finding a lot of air bubbles and kind of like things Things you're doing to remedy it as you're going through the process.
4: I think my biggest solution to eliminate blowouts and tears is, um, for my daughter to stuff, and I just crank the handle because she's way better
2: at it than me. <laughs> <They're> like that, uh, <laughs> That third pair of hands, yeah, or yeah, second pair of hands. Yep, there we go. <laughs> That's fair. I also I too employ uh, either my daughter or my wife, and and I'll have them crank, and uh, I'll generally guide. Right, right.
3: Yeah, I would say going back to fat content, um, bind is a very important thing that you know you can have a recipe for. Sausage, but what you're really looking for is is flavor and texture Um, Mm -hmm. And so developing a good bind which which you're Developing Myosin is the protein Um, so that the things that aid in that are Salt moisture and and cold temperature. So when you an agitation, so you, you you combine those things and a good mix at a cold temperature with the right amount of moisture, the right amount of fat is going to develop the bind that you need. So it's not an emulsification. It's not crumbly. It fits right in there in that middle ground where you're looking for. It's gonna retain whatever liquid you put inside of it. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest things I see people overlook is developing a good bind. Yeah. Like
4: Adam said, like I, I do, I do all my mixing by hand. And when I'm doing a smoked sausage, I mean, yeah, it hurts like hell. Your hands are sore, but you want that meat to be super, super sticky. Um, when you try to pull it apart, it's almost like a web in order to get that good bind, that protein extraction is what you really need for that, um, for doing any kind of smoked sausage and, and, you know, make sure you add, you add cure. Um, I know we didn't really touch on that a whole lot, but you know, your pink, pink salt and secure number one, if, you, if you're ever going to do any cold smoking, definitely make sure you add cure to it. Cause that meat's just hanging out in the, in the danger zone for, for too long and you end up with bacterial
3: growth. Yeah. That's, that's what he just, you know, very important topic. If you're going to be, Putting anything in your smoker, there's that. Was it forty two to one hundred and forty two, roughly? When it's going through that temperature zone, um, and the the percentage I use is is uh, was it tw- twenty five hundredths of a percent, zero point two five percent by weight of meat um, to get that cure ratio where it needs to be. Um to go through the danger zone i th- i don't i think the salt salt ratio is any it can't be below one and a half percent by weight combined with the with with the cure so and we can get an, yep, an uh, lactic fermentation and pH drop and all that weird dark, dark <laughs> stuff on another <laughs> another episode but uh those are the basics right there. Like he said, if you're going to throw anything in a, in a cold smoke or even that temperature transition where you start out at 120 and slowly mm-hmm. it, get that, uh, sodium nitrite, which is cure number one in there.
2: Yep. Yeah, I, I guess we should, uh, briefly since, since we, we dove into it, we should talk about the difference of, a, a, like a number one and a number two cure. um, and just go, and I would say, I'm going to caveat all this too, is like, if you have a solid sausage recipe that that addresses all these things, like it's a good reference point. And then you can kind of build your own off of that. But there's been tons of research and tons of trial and error done over the years by many different folks to sort of get to this level of like, here's how you make a bratwurst. Here's how you make salami. Like, here's how you do this. And there's tons of things that can go wrong in there, but it's like, it's, it's a good guide. For for anybody getting into it, or anybody that wants to repeat the consistency over and over, so uh,
3: unfortunately, when they go wrong in this arena, typically the got going wrong has has very dire consequences. So you want to really make sure the food safety is is you really pay attention to that.
2: Oh yeah, one hundred percent there's something special with sausage like you're encasing it and it's gonna linger and it's it's not gonna go anywhere
3: i think uh doesn't the word botulism come mm-hmm. from some like the latin for like spoiled meat there's there's a lot of history behind the linguistics of of where we're at too so huh. again that's we we digress a little
2: bit there yeah yeah um Let's see. So, uh, Ryan, any, any hot tips you got for us in the, in the sausage making world? Uh, the only one I'll, I'll throw out there is just a mistake that we made. Like I said, it should have been on the other
1: podcast on the, on the cooking failures is don't rely on technology. Um, you know, we, we kind of leaned heavy on our electric grinder, electric mixer, stuffer combo, and we made some fantastic bologna um <laughs> uh, so, uh, kind of it, it was it was a hard failure because we 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 made a lot uh i, I don't want to say we wasted it because i definitely ate some very good venison bologna sandwiches after that um had some fried bologna for days but <laughs> <laughs> i can tell you that the texture just wasn't there um uh, but you know, it, it was, it was a good failure. It was still edible. Uh, it, it cooked well, but it was an eye opener. Um, so don't believe, you know, you, you buy a piece of apparatus that you're going to make something with and you think it, it's a, it's the end all be all just kind of do your research. Looking back, I would have probably started with a hand stuffer and went that way to get the knack of the, the texture. Um, and I would have known immediately, um, being the noob here at sausage making that that was not the texture I was looking for that came out of that machine. So uh, that's, that's really my only takeaway from that is uh, just don't rely on if if you're new to this, right. So don't rely on, it says sausage stuffer attachments that (laughs) you're looking for. You you need a little background there. So,
3: well, and and also that being said, if you're new to it, it's going to be just, as exciting making a sausage. And if you don't have a stuffer yet, just go for it. It's really hard. The worst that can happen is you get a hot dog or bologna out of it. Absolutely. No, We had a blast. We had a lot of bologna afterwards. We had a blast. <laughs> just go for it. Dive in there. Just, you know, pay attention. Keep everything cold. And uh, you're going to get something edible out of it. Absolutely.
2: So... Uh... I'll, I'll hit on real quick the, the differences in like the cure. So you got your number one or your number two. So number two is like your prog powder. And that's uh, uh that's that's going for things that are generally going to be cooked longer or cured longer. And that, that's a big hindrance of the, the botulism. Yeah. So, uh, one
3: is so a mixture of sodium nitrite and salt. Mm-hmm. And cure number two is a mixture of sodium nitrate and salt. So the way I remember yep. the two is sodium nitrate is the meat you got to wait for nitrate wait. So it's the longer cured items, whole muscles that you're going to be hanging, drying out over a long period of time. Whereas your quick cured items, that you're going to end up cooking. Um, that's your sodium nitrite. And I, I can't have this conversation without saying when you get a package of bacon that says nitrite free, it's a lie.
2: <laughs> yep there's some some form of it in there yep celery
3: spinach all all your greens have nitrite in them so i don't know where the marketing hysteria came in there but at least we use a quantifiable amount six grams of sodium nitrite will kill a person Whew. so be very careful yep There's some formula of how many slim Jims do you have to eat in order to to die?
2: (laughs) 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 Sodium nitrate. Nice. Well, uh, I think we dove pretty well into like uh, it's a good primer on sausage making. I think we 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 hit on a a lot of good things. Um, So we'll go ahead and go around uh, for our, our last thoughts, last comments, alibis. Uh, I'll go ahead and I'll start off with John. Uh, if you got any last thoughts for us, no, I just suggest people give it a try. I know there's,
4: you know, it. it people can be scared. Oh, it cures this and that, but you know, just start off with uh, a just typical box sausage. Get some collagen casings, and uh, mm. trust me, you can't go wrong. I'm the very first sausage I ever met made was my buddy and I did a bunch of uh, venison summer sausage and we had no idea what we we're doing using a, a box mix and no concept of keeping everything cold. Kids were grinding, meat was slinging, and uh, we made that summer sausage and I put it in my smoker and it was awesome. It came out great. It wasn't dry. It was moist. It came off the casing and I have no idea how to help you pulled that off, but we did. So
2: yeah, just give it a shot. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Ryan, last thoughts?
1: No, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with John and Adam there. You know, just, just get into it. I'm, I'm kind of the noob here on the sausage thing, but I can't agree with them more. It does sound uh, a little intimidating, but just make it. I mean, like, like Adam said, the work she came out with is a whole bunch of bologna and uh, it was fantastic though. We fried it up and it was delicious. Um, yeah. So just get in there and like, like John said, you know, go to Academy, go to Walmart, get on Amazon, or a box set. If you don't know what you're doing, it gives you some pretty clear directions. Um, you know, you can make your jerky, you can make your sausage, whatever you want to do with it and uh just go for it, figure out what your taste palate is after that whether you, you know you wanted it a little more coarse or a little fine whatever and then you can refine it, right? So go with the pre-made directions and then just kind of shoot from there.
2: Nice. Adam, uh, last thought for us? Yep, going in building on it what everybody else just said, <laughs>
3: start at the beginning, figure out what you like. There's plenty of resources out there to, to dial in literally to the hundredth of a gram of what's going into your sausage. If you like it spicier, if you like more sage, less sage, if you like red wine versus white right wine, you know, and you're you can dial it in to exactly what you like. And as far as jumping in goes, one of the first uh, cooking dates I had with my now life was a sausage making session. That went exceedingly well, so uh, everybody out there, yeah, just dive in, get somebody else involved. They'll probably find it very fascinating. You know, as the old saying goes, sauces and politics—the two things you don't want to see being made. (laughs) (laughs) At least, at least one of them's edible in the end. (laughs) Easier easier to swallow.
2: all right well uh i I thank you all for coming on and uh like i said earlier i think we we hit a good primer on sort of sausage making i I would uh ask anybody out there if you got any questions or comments about it reach out to us uh you know collectively i think we we can either give you the resources or point you in the direction to get some good resources on uh particular styles or you know helping you dial it in or diagnose problems uh that are going on while you're trying to make sausage yourself. But um, outside of that, um, I encourage you to, like if you've got cool special tips or tricks or recipes, let us know. We're, we're happy to, to share in those. That community group I mentioned earlier, so if you go over to uh, the Wild Fish and Game community over on Facebook, that's a great place to post those questions and those pictures and videos and all that stuff uh, ab- about the process. So uh, we look forward to seeing you all there. And uh, as always, thanks, everybody, for listening. And show notes, as mentioned earlier, will be available online, so we'll include in links to all these great things that we talked about tonight. Uh, As always, uh, use that rate the podcast link and get a chance to get a hat, punch the five-star button, tell us what we're doing wrong, or tell us what we're doing right. Thanks, and have a good night.